the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? Hi, this is M.F. Kelleher. This episode starts Season 3 of the Murder Mystery Podcast. Olivia Street is in London for Christmas. A body is found on the tracks of Clapham Junction Railway Station, and the widow asks Olivia to find out what happened. She unearths a hornet's nest of crimes from 15 years before. There's snow, there's Christmas, and there's London. Welcome to Season 3. On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's the London Connection. Episode 1 The south bank of the River Thames is bursting with shoppers as Olivia Street walks back to her flat near Tower Bridge. As she reaches the front door of her block of flats, she can feel her phone vibrating in her pocket. She pulls it out and sits on one of the chairs in the reception area. There are two messages on the phone. The first is from Poppy, her daughter, who has left a voice message saying that she's dumped her boyfriend, and asking about what's happening at Christmas, because Poppy's father has invited her to go there. The second message is from an agency that she uses for work, telling her that there's an urgent need for a corporate lawyer in a government office in Whitehall starting immediately. Olivia hasn't worked for a month, so replies saying she's interested, and then goes to the lifts and up to her flat. By the time she wakes up the next morning, there's a message back from the agency with details of who to meet about the job. She dresses in a black suit and pulls her hair back into a low ponytail. The address is on the other side of Whitehall to Downing Street. She gets there ten minutes early and is shown into a dark wood panelled room to one side of a cavernous entrance hall. A short, dark woman walks around the corner, her hair in a chignon, and her blouse buttoned up to the neck. Miss Street, she says. Follow me, will you? The woman leads Olivia through glazed double doors next to the security guard and the two women disappear into the bowels of the building. They turn sharp left and ascend a staircase to the first floor, then turn sharp left again into a corridor that is fifty yards long. The woman doesn't talk to Olivia as they walk. When they reach the far end, the woman opens the door and lets Olivia go in first. The meeting room is equally as Victorian as the reception waiting area. The woman leaves without further words and shuts the door behind her. The sound of the traffic is muted behind the glass, and Olivia walks to the window and looks out at the cars, taxis and buses crawling past along Whitehall. After ten minutes, a man in his forties enters and walks over to her. He has brown eyes and dark hair cut short. "'You must be Olivia Street,' he says. She extends her hands and they shake. He puts his laptop on the table next to him but doesn't open it. I'm Stephen Boyd, the Deputy Director here at the BEIS. What's that? Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Department. She raises an eyebrow, but he doesn't notice. You were recommended to us. Good to know I have friends in the right places. She smiles, and he echoes it after a second, wondering if he should. What's the work, Mr Boyd? We have some particularly sensitive challenges concerning negotiations that the Minister is doing with large electronics companies. Which companies? Has anyone got you to sign the Official Secrets Act declaration yet? He says. She shakes her head. 
I'll wait to tell you any names. Safe to say we need someone who is going to operate quickly and discreetly in support of the minister. That's Heather Wells, says Olivia. He briefly closes his eyes in acknowledgement. Can you tell me in outline what the legal work is? She says. Sorry, I can't yet. I'll ask Jeanette to get the paperwork. It may be an hour or two. Do you want to wait or come back? I'll go for a walk in that case. She smiles politely, and he shows her back down the corridor to the entrance hall. Could you give me your telephone number? He says as they reach the main doors. I'll message you when she's sorted it. They exchange numbers, and Livia walks out to Whitehall. She turns left towards Parliament Square, and finds a coffee shop while she waits. The message from Boyd comes an hour later, and he suggests that they have lunch so that he can brief her. He has booked carriages on Northumberland Avenue. Olivia arrives two minutes before he does, and is shown to a table in the corner. The waitress says that this is Mr. Boyd's usual table. When he arrives, he is more confident than before, but hurried now. He puts his briefcase on the floor and rummages around in it, then produces a stapled four-page document and hands it to her. Olivia reads the document as he orders water and bread for the table, and a bottle of Chateau Grand Puy Lacoste, Bordeaux. Do you have a pen? She says after a couple of minutes, and he produces a pen from his jacket pocket. Olivia signs the document and hands it to him. I'll need a copy. He nods, then says, I'm having the lamb, hence the Bordeaux. I hope you don't mind. Olivia picks up her menu, and the waiter brings the wine. She orders sea bass and flicks her eyes at him as she does so. Tell me about you, he says. I'm a corporate lawyer. I've done a lot of buyouts and mergers work and some criminal defence. I'm licensed in the US and the UK. You went to Cambridge, didn't you? He says, indicating he probably knows the answers to whatever he's going to ask her. Girton College. Didn't want to go to Chambers? I don't like the stuffiness of all that barrister work, she says. I'll make sure I'm not too stuffy, then. She ignores the comment. Tell me about the job. The minister has been talking to three suppliers for a year. She wants to move all government communications to be managed externally to improve the environmental footprint. Let me tell you what we need from you, he says. You will attend the talks with the suppliers and you will be the minister's eyes and ears in the room, then oversee all the contractual paperwork. Don't you have staff lawyers to do this normally? She would rather have someone from outside, he says. Doesn't trust the staff? I didn't say that. Of course she trusts her staff. Fine, says Olivia. I can do that. Is it you who decides if I get the job? Oh, you've got the job, mysteries, he says. You had the job before you arrived this morning. The Jubilee Line carriage is full the next morning, and Olivia has to push between people to get on board. The five-minute journey seems to take longer than that, before she emerges into daylight at Westminster Tube Station. The same woman who met her yesterday is waiting in reception, trying to not look flustered, but failing. They complete numerous forms to officially issue her, with a laptop and door pass. Then Olivia is shown to a desk in a large office, on the same long corridor from yesterday. There are two other desks in the office, both unoccupied. 
The windows here look out over Whitehall Court. A back street with white stuccoed buildings down both sides. On Olivia's desk is one thin blue folder. Inside are two pieces of paper. The first giving her instructions to get into the laptop, and the second is a list of appointments for today, that someone has typed up. The first appointment on the list is for 10am, and according to the silent clock above the door, that's in five minutes' time. The door opens with a rush and a man enters. He is in his early thirties with a mop of blonde hair, and his green eyes betray an intelligent mind beneath a reticent demeanour. She checks her list. "'Are you Tom Adams?' she says, standing up behind her desk. "'And you must be Olivia?' They shake hands. "'I'm here to brief you on the Greenlink work.' She goes to her bag and fishes out a notebook and pen. Then he leads them to a table under the window, with four chairs around it, and they sit. "'The minister has been talking to three suppliers for six months,' he says. "'We're creating a new contract to cover the whole of the civil service.' "'I was reading last night there's been some accusations of unfair treatment from the companies who didn't get on the shortlist. "'Are those justified?' she says. "'Of course not.' he says quietly. Can I ask, Tom, why did you call it the Greenlink work earlier? Greenlink are bidding. But others are too. Of course. So? They're seen as the front-runner, he says. The chief executive of Greenlink is Jeremy Alpen. Are you familiar? Only in the news, she says, then changes the subject. Who's doing the negotiation from our side? Surely not Heather Wells herself. No, I've been covering the planning, and Ellen Hill is leading on the detail. You can meet Greenink this afternoon. We've got a meeting. I saw, she says. Who organised all these meetings? That's Gia. They talk more than another man turns up to see Olivia. He is short, with a shaved head and large glasses. He introduces himself as William from Finance. He takes her through the costings for the work. Olivia's afternoon is equally packed with people telling her things. By six o'clock she walks out of the building and into the already dark streets of London. She turns away from the river towards the centre of the city. Her brain is tired and she needs to unwind. She keeps walking and ends up going through the St James's district, then up onto Piccadilly. She passes the Royal Academy that has closed for the night when she hears her name being called from behind her. And she turns. Is it you, Miss Street? Hello, Mr Boyd. Are we going the same way? I'm heading for Brown's Hotel and Barber. I wasn't. Would you like to join me, in that case? We can catch up on how your first day has been. I'm meeting Ellen Hill. Did you meet her? No, she's probably the only person I haven't met today. She smiles, and he does too. Ten minutes later they arrive at the Donovan Bar within the hotel. A tall, dark-haired woman, in her early thirties, is sitting on one of the tall chairs at the bar. She has blue eyes and slow and deliberate movements. When Stephen arrives with company, Olivia senses no disappointment in Ellen's manner, so dismisses the idea they may have any personal relationship outside work. Either that, or Ellen is an excellent actress. They order gin and tonics and talk about work for a while. 
then move on to their personal lives. Olivia talks about Poppy. Stephen was married two years ago, but they have no children. Olivia notices that Ellen's face is unemotional during this part of the conversation. Talking about her reminds him to go and call his wife from a payphone as he left his mobile at home this morning, he says. Ellen talks about herself after Stephen has gone. She's single and has been for four years. She had a boyfriend, but he became controlling. And she left before the whole thing deteriorated further, which she had sensed it might. And there's been no one since, says Olivia. No one serious. I dated a couple of guys, but they didn't want to commit to anything. What about you? I split from my boyfriend a few months ago, she says. The women talk on until Stephen returns. They all have another drink and the group splits up at about nine o'clock. Olivia goes home, orders a food delivery on the way, then eats her udon noodles with beef and red onions while watching a movie online. The night sits over London. It's completely dark as Olivia is pushed out of sleep by her phone ringing. Before waking, her subconscious tried to switch off the noise, but her brain thought it was her morning alarm, and through the blur her mind finally engages, and she sits up suddenly and grapples with the mobile. Yes, hello. Is this Olivia Street? Uh, yes, that's me. This is Sergeant Collins from the British Transport Police. We're outside your flat. We ran the doorbell. We didn't get an answer. It's the middle of the night, Sergeant. She tries to keep her frustration out of her voice tone. I was asleep. What's this about? Could you let us in, miss? He says, and we'll go through it with you. She walks to the door. She can see two police officers on the video security screen and buzzes them in. Two minutes later, after throwing on leggings and a T-shirt, she answers a knock on her door. She ushers in Collins and a female officer, and they all sit on her sofas. We believe you were with Stephen Boyd earlier this evening, miss, says Collins. He has kind, pale eyes. Yes, that's correct. Can you take us through your movements this evening, miss? Says Collins. The female officer pulls a notebook from her top pocket. Olivia explains what she did and where she was, from the time she left the office in Whitehall to when she arrived home. What's this about, Sergeant? A couple of other questions, if you will, miss, says Collins. Did Mr. Boyd seem himself? Did he seem happy? He appeared happy enough. I've only known him for twenty-four hours, so I can't tell if he was himself. Ellen Hill, who was with us, would be able to answer that. She's known him for much longer. Yes, we asked her. So you didn't see him after he left Brown's Hotel? Says Collins. That's right, Sergeant. Are there witnesses we can confirm that with, Miss? The food delivery guy can confirm I was here, if that helps. She gives them the receipt for the food, and they say they'll follow up. Collins is appreciative, but the policewoman doesn't show any humility, and gruffly tells Olivia to come into the station and make her formal statement within the next twenty-four hours. So what's happened? says Olivia. Mr. Boyd was found dead earlier this evening, miss, says Collins. The police leave and she makes tea. Olivia stands looking out over the waters of the Thames, and her mind starts automatically thinking about how Stephen Boyd could have met his death. <laughs>